The Grant Cedillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's uh, very insightful. I know a lot of those issues have probably been discussed in our classes, but it's extremely complicated, and it's good to hear it from someone who's sort of involved in it on a daily basis. And on a personal level, I appreciate you sharing your story about your family. And I have a husband who some of you met tonight who I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have a husband that's very supportive and does a lot of uh, things that are helpful. So I understand that as well and appreciate mm -hmm. it. Let me ask you one question, then we'll go to questions from the audience, because I know many of you out there are, you know, have things you would like to ask, but we talked some about the, the programs that are being rolled out, the sort of the $700 billion bailout plan. What, how much confidence do you have that that's going to accomplish what they want it to, and, and what kind of lag do you think there's going to be in that actually doing what we hope that it does? Um, it's hard to say when the actual cash will hit the streets and cash to buy the assets, and that's just one part of it. I think the uh, the program on commercial paper will hit more quickly. But um, the Treasury, there's a great website, so you can track everything the Treasury is doing. Just go to treasury.gov, and everything is right there in front of you. So you could track this, which I do now. My BlackBerry, if it were here, I'd probably be getting three emails about what they're doing. Um, they have already sent out the request to find asset managers for these pools of capital. They've also sent out and have selected somebody that's the custodian, the backup people that are going to do all the record keeping, and they've hired a couple of consultants as well. So they have done all this in a span of a week. Now, I don't know where the government moves that fast, but I think it takes them a lot longer to figure out what bill they might want to put on the table to talk about versus hiring people, getting the RFPs out, and they are looking through all the asset management pieces. I suspect it will take at least four to eight weeks to get some rhythm about the policies, the investment practices, and how will they identify which assets to go and buy. I think once the program has a few other um, details around it and they're buying these poorly priced and bad assets, that people will say, oh, we're, we're moving some of this capital back into the economy. My concern is that this is this, is this patient capital but we're going into a rhythm now for weaker economics. So while we're going to move from a financial crisis, we're now starting to read or we're in a recession or a depression, that we're going to get through um, probably the next 12 months without feeling good about stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, Goldman Sachs just came out and said 8% um, unemployment uh, through, you know, the end of 2009. It was just 6% a little while ago. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have kind of this double angst. Um, I do think that injecting the capital into the economy is absolutely necessary. I mean, if anybody's an entrepreneur, what do you look for? Smart people and capital, right? And you might not do it in that order. You might say, i got to get the capital, so I get the smart people. But capital is what drives this. So that program, along with two or three of the others, um, I think we'll start turning around some of this um, just chaos that we have. So how long do you think you're going to keep your 401k in cash? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. You know, I, I, I'll give you a few thoughts on that, actually. Um, 
you know, the U.S. equity market, there's a home bias. You buy what you know the best. So I just displayed my bias, right, fixed income. But United States investors tend to buy U.S. equities, and I'm finding in my book of business, Europeans are buying European equities because they know those companies mm -hmm. the best. Um, but the U.S. companies, there is vibrancy, and Clarissa was on our call the other day when we talked about the valuations of our U.S. companies are coming back down to very reasonable P.E. levels. So, you know, you think the, all these strong companies, I mean, you know, I can name a few. I can't name them in my GE capacity, but you just read the papers. U.S. Steel has come down in half. IBM has come down in half. Procter & Gamble, you know, everything got battered because we don't know what to do with anything, so we throw everything out. It's right. all trap. You know, it's all mm -hmm. like just do this to everything. So... You know, again, my bias would be probably be by U.S. before I, you know, think about something broader. Just because you got to, you got to go back into this marketplace now. I would buy these troubled assets if I could find a way to do it, but I think that's going to be for the institutional accounts. Great. Let's open the floor to the audience and see what questions you have for Kathy. I'm going to go back here and then come. Forward. Yes. Speak up. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people are asking, is this the bottom, is it not? Um, volatility is just going to be very, very, very high um, because we have a little piece of transparency into this marketplace, but um, the stock market will lead the economy up before the economy recovers. I don't think that this is a time period where it's just going to start going back up once again. I think the risk tolerance is what a lot of companies are going to go back and think about. How risky was I last Tuesday? How risky am I going to be, you know, next February? And that will dictate how much, you know, to your question, Linda, when are people going to feel good about risk and put their money back into the marketplace? And so um, the, other, the other piece that I'm watching is there's lots of money in hedge funds. And you could only get your money out of hedge funds at certain times of the year. So for the redemptions for December, you had to put your paperwork in in September. And so I don't know how many people have companies that asked to be redeemed, but if they've got to sell more shares of equity to meet those year-end calls, the market's going to come down unless we have new demand for U.S. equities. And I don't think it's going to, you know, necessarily balance out. Yeah. Question right here. We've got a microphone now, so if you'll use the microphone. How do you convince an investor like yourself to put your cash back into the market? I know a lot of people who pulled out a year ago who have their money sitting in cash. What's, what's it going to take to convince them? Because that's what's going to turn things around, is people like you putting your money back into back the market. Into cash, right. Um, I, I'm going to go back to asset allocation. So I think a lot of defined benefit programs, they actually have stated target rates for their different asset classes. So a lot of um, companies do want to buy international. And if they're going to say, that, that's the North Star, right, the asset allocation. So if they believe this is a time when so many things have been beaten down, they will necessarily do it. Can I convince somebody? Right now, this moment, I don't think so. It has to come from the heart of the chief investment officer that they're re ready to take their dollars and put it into another asset class. 
You know, I could show you all sorts of charts that go back to, goes back to about 1930. And it's an extremely interesting chart. And if you take returns and just put them across the bottom, 0, 0 to 5%, 5 to 10%, 10 to 20%, and then do it on the negative side. Every time period you have a negative 10 or 20%, just put that year in that column. The following two years are in that other higher 15, 20%. So if you believe in trend analysis like that, I can show that chart that might convince them. And I think that's a very powerful chart because you have to be in the markets to get that rebound. You can't sit in cash. Like I'm sitting in cash and I'm going, you know, I'll go and put some more into the equity market. I think individuals that are at the boards right now are faced with unprecedented times. And when you sit in the seat, you really want to look smart. And you may not be rewarded all the time to be the first person in, right? And I think we're going to see, you know, who's going to establish some leadership. And I think there's going to be some private solutions to this um, mortgage debacle because there's a lot of money sitting with private equity firms. So that might be one of the ways that there's going to be more capital injected into the marketplace by the private equity firms that will just put SWAT teams around analyzing these programs. Ed. Um, credit risk has been in the headlines quite a bit, and uh, credit derivatives. Can you uh, briefly uh, talk about the market, the, the condition the market is in, or, or uh, what the condition the market was in, and how it's changed, and uh, what kind of turmoil the credit derivative markets are going through right now? Sure. The layman uh, bankruptcy and some of the other Let's um, level set people on what credit default swaps are as well. So let's go back to when I grew up. All we dealt with was cash bonds. You put your money in, you gave the cash, you had a bond. And um, people wanted to figure out how they could trade in bonds and actually not have a bond or swap cash. So, you know, I could walk up to another firm and say, hey, you know what? Do you like this? What do you think about, just pick a firm out there. What do you think about Sears? I might say, I don't like it, and you say, you like it. So I said, let's do a contract, and let's see where the spreads go, and I'll pay a little premium, or you pay me a little premium. No bond had to be there. Um, in this credit turmoil, you price a bond over the treasury curve. So a five-year treasury pays us about 3.5% interest. If you're a top, 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 top company, you might pay... 25 basis points or a quarter of 1% over that treasury so that you could raise capital. Those firms right now, instead of 25 basis points, because we don't know how to price risk and we don't even know, you know, think about the AIG, which is a top quality company. Maybe you have to pay 125 basis points, you have to pay 250 basis points. And then you had all these contracts that were just what we called synthetics. They were just contracts. They were just a promise that you and I made to each other. And there is no way to account for how many of those contracts are in the marketplace. And people put, you know, just trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of value around them, but there's no way you can count them up. So I don't know if I had a contract with you, and we made a contract, and you made a contract, and you made these contracts. You don't know how many people were really trading around that same credit. I think the credit spreads for high yields right now are about 
12% above a treasury. You know, they were paying 20% for a high-yield bond, and it's implying a lot of default risk in there. And that's, I think, a fair game to play right now because there will be defaults in those high-yield names. They don't get access to capital or being able to refinance the risk. They have to default. There's no other place to go with that debt that's due. And private equity firms typically would buy um, uh, companies that are in trouble, you know, and try to recapitalize it, or they might have a roll-up strategy to merge a lot of companies in the same industry together. But the private equity firms aren't interested in this ball game either. And a part of that is because um, when we sit in a private equity fund, there's not a lot of cash flow coming out that could be back and reinvested. And so you've had some misfaults or missteps, I would say, people buying some securities too early, so they're a little singed, and people don't want to do that. Again, they don't want to look bad. They want to look smart. Um, a lot of spreads came down the last couple of days, and I was reading just with the recapitalization of the banks by the Treasury that the credit spreads on very major banks really snugged in by over a point and a half. So that's very positive. Somebody had their hand up back here. What do you think about the idea of the government giving, say, $10,000 to each and every taxpayer? If you consider that there's probably about 900,000 taxpayers in the U.S., 10,000, we're talking close to a trillion, you know, because the, one tr the 700 billion that they set aside may not be enough for Wall Street. Uh, they may have to do a second, a second tier. What do you think about simply giving cash, putting cash back into the American taxpayer's pocket? Well, I think you're going to get that with the price of oil coming down to $80 a barrel. So it's, happen hap it's really happening naturally right now when you've seen oil go from a uh, $140 per barrel down to $80. So I think the market is giving that back to us, which is great, because we all were um, used to filling up our gas tanks, what, for $70 $80, and, you know, that should be down in half. So that's, that's not a tax break, but it is redeploying capital from you know, the gas tank to buying what you might want to buy. Um, look, everybody likes to buy goods. We're, you know, a nation of, you know, we got tons of stuff, probably way too much stuff. Um, the economic stimulus package that was done um, several months ago, you know, the reports are that people save it, buy down debt, buy some stuff. They got stuck with the higher gas bill is what a lot of people had said. So, you know, if you think that it's going to have a long-term impact, that's great. But I'm not sure if the long-term impact is, um, uh, let, let me rephrase it, I think the long-term impact is to, to create the capital to get economic value versus us buying more goods right now, has a longer-term um, sustainable economic impact than perhaps, you know, depending upon us who get some money and what are we going to buy. Yes, back here, and then we'll come down to Santiago. One question on the, <coughs> what was the, you know, the rating agencies doing when this whole credit default transfer, when they were doing the debt restructuring, how did the rating agencies default so much? Right. Um, I'm not a, um, I, I can't be an expert on the rating agencies, but I can tell you where I think some of it went wrong. Um, 
there were so many people packaging up the mortgages that it was it overwhelmed their knowledge base and um, each cash flows each mortgage has a cash flow stream and there's no technology that permitted them to really stress test each of those cash flow streams so they did it in that bundled approach um, they're paid by issuers so that could be a part of the problem so if I was putting together a CDO I paid to get the rating <laughs> so you know one could argue that there could be a conflict of interest in that I think the um, the packaging of all this debt was happening very quickly and again you just go how, how, how could how could how could it be a triple-a so a lot of people believed it and we stress tested all these different tranches but the rating agencies have been through a lot of chaos remember we had a credit crisis before we had this structured product crisis and they were wrong on a lot of credits back then we were talking about you know Kmart earlier when it went bankrupt there have been a rated companies in the corporate world that have gone bankrupt so they believe they rate through a cycle not with a cycle so um, I think it's very valuable when you have a team like I had at fixed income for GE is that we looked at each and every security we didn't depend on ratings. we came up sorry we came up with our own independent ratings and that's you know in this big world of asset management people are going to go back to let's do fundamental research we're not going to trust agencies or we're not going to trust somebody else's analysis so they, they have to rebuild their reputation Santiago yeah, you mentioned reputation during the, your speech and you think America's reputation is long is ruined and you know how is that going to affect the country in the long run or no I don't <laughs> in fact I remember the day that um, some of these uh, um, programs were announced and I had my salesperson in Paris on the phone and he goes this is what I'm worried about and he gave me a couple of things because oh welcome to socialism and I'm like oh, wait a second here you know I'm not sure I agree with that one um, I don't I think they're just so interwoven right now and you can think about all the different issues we have globally and you know you have scares around the world right you've got oil issues south of us you've got um, depending on I'm on the west coast now mm -hmm. so you've got you know tainted milk over you know to the west of us um, you can think about some of the crises with lack of laws in the uh, part of the country or the part of the world with Russia you can think about disruption because of military issues in the Middle East um, now I don't think Americans reputations are ruined I think that this is a concerted effort to try to figure out what is a global problem and can I just want to there's mortgages in other parts of the world as well that aren't doing so well so I mean the UK <laughs> has a lot of mortgages that they have on their books they just you know there, there's there's problems with um, debt around the world and with banks around the world too yeah well what I meant with that is more in the financial sort of institutions and like is oh. investment going to sort of flee from the US and kind of go somewhere else given that you know this whole crisis is unprecedented here in, in the US. capital goes to good ideas Capital will just go to the, where the best ideas are. If we have no good ideas, then we shouldn't get it, right? That's I mean, that's the heart of entrepreneurism. Good. Let's go back here. We have time for about two more questions. So, um, what, what are your thoughts on how much going to happen to the market as well as the economy after November, the last year's as well as January, when the president is likely to 
<laughs> I, think, I, I mean, we're, we're on a track. You know, either person that gets elected is going to have a tough, tough job. You know, I don't think it's an issue that's a uh, particular party issue, and they've just got to work through it. I think the big issue is, is the team in charge of this Treasury program are not going to stay in place or not because they're appointed? You know, and um, Hank Paulson, who's really masterminding all this moves, and he doesn't have to stay. You know, the first time he was asked to be the Treasury Secretary, he said no. Man, 62 years old, probably doesn't have to do this and listen to all these cranky politicians around him. You know, it's like, so, you know, I think that that's one of the um, issues. I, I, I don't, I mean, personally, I don't think that the market is putting much weight on either of the individuals. I do believe that the tax programs will be widely watched. And what we don't know is if anybody, either McCain or Obama's hands are tied because of the bigger issues. You know, can they, what, what can they do because the issues of this financial rescue problem are pretty deep. Let's see. Oh, gosh, everybody. I'm going to go right back here. You're, you, yes, and then we'll do one more. We'll do the two of you here, and then we're going to have to wrap up. So I know you've got lots of other questions. You'd love to pick her brain more. You were mentioning that the uh, lending practices, now that banks are going to go, they're probably... Uh, I guess you were kind of suggesting things are going to be a little more conservative basing on future cash flows. What effects do you think that will have in the, uh, the housing market and like what, how will that trickle into the economy? It sounds like housing prices are going to go down a lot further. Um, well, I, you know, they don't have to go down a lot further. I mean, there's no reason they have to go down. I think what has to change is that you go back to the basics of lending against 80% of a property value, validating the income, you know, making sure that, you know, we as individuals have some responsibility, I think, for our own self, you know, finances of buying the house that we can afford, not what the bank might be able to put in front of us. And, you know, auto loans, I think, are going to have issues because you've got a lot of issues with our companies, you know, Chrysler and GM thinking that they might be merging. I don't know, could they give us 0% financing for that, you know, car that we all want? And they set the programs up so they kind of can figure out the affordability limit, you know, $99 or 199 or 219 um, That's to make it affordable. They'll just stretch out the terms. But I think all of that excess is just being fleshed out of this whole system right now. Um, I don't know how many stuffers you've had in your mailbox lately, but I think a lot of those stuffers for our credit cards are like, you know, they're not one a day anymore. I just noticed that I have more space in my mailbox recently because they don't know, you know, they're not, they're not doing the arbitrage game of great ratings and getting the fees and the 18% interest rates on the credit card. So I think the credit is going to come in a lot of different ways that maybe we're not thinking about, but credit card availability will shrink. Auto loans, you know, they're not going to be 0% financing. And um, clearly the homes, the um, availability, I mean, it has to creep back into the system, but it's not there yet. Right, right here. Hi. As a member of uh, the committee that advises the Treasury, I, I would like to learn a little bit more about what are some of the recommendations and the impact of those recommendations. Are they actually being heard, or are they more like, Okay, thank you very much. We're going to make our decision. And I ask this because having grown up in Mexico, I remember the situation of the financial crisis where the government came in and helped try to revitalize the financial system. Um, it was encountered with a lot of opposition from the public, especially when the leading banks were purchased by 
foreign financial organizations. Do you think that we run the risk of encountering the same situation where the U.S. government may help U.S. institutions just to get picked up and scooped up by foreign financial organizations? We asked like three questions in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Pick your favorite yeah, I know. that you'd like well, to respond to. You know, yeah, there's a couple. I'll give you the website for the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee. It's all on the website. And all of our minutes are right there. So you choose to um, see if what we've said is implemented. I, you know, I could tell you I think that they listen to our voices. But every minute is a public record. And um, what we advise is how much and where on the curve they should issue their debt. Now, um, I think it was today or yesterday, they're talking about bringing back a three-year note and a 30-year note, and they'll do it more frequently, and we try to figure out where people are going to want to buy the bonds. Um, there's these things called TIPS, tra um, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Nobody really wants that stuff. And so we said, you know, let's, you know, you don't need to issue so much of that. I think they're listening. But you look at the website, and you see if you see some of those um, impacts coming. On the other piece of um, people buying U.S. banks, I think you know pieces of our banks are being bought and vice versa um, around the world as well. I, you know, um, mergers and acquisitions globally are going to happen, and again, it's where the best values are and what people can do with these companies. Or you can grow a company like we do, which is about 50% U.S. and 50% global within our own company. Right? There's companies that we buy up around the world. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure it has to, has to happen, but um, do you really want your banking community in the hands of five or six powerhouses, or would you prefer to have a choice of you know, how many banking institutions there might be around the world? I'd pick the latter versus the former. Ed, did you have a question? I'm going to let Ed do the last audience question. He's one of our faculty members that's been here for 30-plus years, so he'll have a great question for you. So you followed German advice, and you listened and got information, and 14 months ago transferred your assets. Uh, what signal did you detect that caused you to do that? How sophisticated do you think someone has to be to be able to figure that out? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about the last half, and then I'll tell you about the first half. Um, there's no way that I could fix my leaking skylight right now, nor could I fix my plumbing that's also got a leak. You know, I have faucets in my bathroom that are just a disaster. So I hire people that are experts, you know, climb on my roof and fix my faucets. And I liken this that I think that most Americans think they know how to manage their money, but yet I, I don't know where we have ever, ed ever educated us to manage our own monies. So we're willing to hire the plumber for 200 or $300 an hour, whatever they run out here, but we want to do our own magic with our dollars. So to me, there's something odd in that equation. Um, so what I was just thinking about is I like signals that tell me something's happening. And I just saw that there was no catalyst for the equity market to continue to go up. I looked at oil at $150. I looked at our unemployment rate. I looked at the cash flow. I looked at moving averages for the S&P. I mean, these are all just signals that people have. And they were all sort of in a neutral zone. There was like nothing really great, 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 great. Maybe there was a couple of good things, like cash flow of companies is really good. But there was just, there was just no real catalyst. And I was getting nervous just because I knew 
being a fixed income expert about CDOs. And I knew that people couldn't understand this, and I knew that most people did not appreciate the fixed income market for the complexity that had been entered into our market in the last several years. So you saw delinquency starting to happen probably back in, I don't know, early 2007 on home mortgages. And um, then they you know, got worse, and then the severity of the, of the uh, defaults were greater. So, you know, you kind of follow the dots, and my stomach just didn't want to go through a lot of turmoil, I guess, you know, either. So 